0: It's funny because I knew nothing about West Virginia and people would tell me, Matt, there's no business, you're going to struggle. And I just felt God was leading me to do it.
1: Welcome to Appalachian Startup, stories of new ideas that eventually became thriving businesses in areas that most would consider a bad investment. I'm J.D. Belcher and I started this podcast because I took the same path as a lot of these folks. I'm a former coal miner, and now I make films through my own production company called JJN Multimedia. I wanted to hear others speak of their journey to not only give new beginners hope, but to help me grow as a fellow entrepreneur. Matthew Helms is a sign-making master. His love for the craft has taken him from working at a sign shop in North Carolina to eventually taking it over and branching out to southern West Virginia with his company SignArk. They specialize in all things printing, embroidering, sign making, graphic designing, and more. They also do car wraps. Matt actually breaks down the process of wrapping a Lamborghini in this episode. His experience in Appalachia has been a positive one, and we sat down to discuss the ins and outs of sign making in the hills. Enjoy.
0: Well, I was homeschooled, and I actually was working at a pizza shop from the time I was 14. And I, yeah, I thought I was going to own a pizza shop one day. I realized real quick, restaurants weren't for me because the hours that's involved in restaurant business.
1: Mm -hmm. Which I worked at McDonald's for a year and a half, and I worked at Walmart. So, And and really, McDonald's was one of my toughest jobs I've ever had, like to this day. It was insane. Um, So when did you start getting into the process of making signs?
0: Like I mentioned, I worked at a pizza place, and right beside the pizza place was actually a sign company, and it was a small place, and I would go hang out with the guy on my breaks, and I just got an interest for it, and then, I don't know, about a year later, I put a word out if anybody was hiring anywhere. It didn't have to be signs. I wasn't even thinking signs. Just anything besides restaurants, I wanted the job. And just so happened, a guy I went to church with, he was moving to Atlanta, and he worked for a sign franchise and asked me if I would take that job. So that's actually how I got into the sign business.
1: Right. And that first day, what did you think going into the the place?
0: It was a little overwhelming because I didn't, I believe like most people, I didn't really understand what all a sign company did. I mean, you see signs everywhere, but you never think how they get there. And I realized there's a lot of process that goes into creating a sign. That was back in 2001. I was 17 when I started working for that sign company.
1: Mm-hmm. So did you catch on quick, or was it a learning process? Or
0: I did. I mean, for whatever reason, I had a knack for it, so I caught on super quick They ended up making me the manager of that location within six months. Well, what I went to was production manager. So I didn't manage the whole shop, but I was now in charge of making sure the jobs were getting finished when they were supposed to and installation. When we were out on job sites, if something went wrong, it fell back on my shoulders. So I had to make sure all the guys were doing what they were supposed to be doing on the job sites as well.
1: Mm. So uh, take me through the process. Like someone comes and says, I need a so-and-so sign, or let's just say they don't know what they want. Like, how do you guide that conversation?
0: Well, you know, used to, we would have to kind of pull a lot out of a customer just to get them to let you know that they wanted it on the building instead of (laughs) out by the road. So now we actually, at our new facility, we have a wall that has an illustration of pretty much any type of sign, whether it's a vehicle graphic to lighted channel letters to a pole sign by the road, we can then walk the customer over there and get started by that, by asking them which one of these signs are you thinking would work for you. And then if they still don't know, we'll make a site visit to their location and just kind of give them advice on which direction we would go.
1: Mm-hmm. So those fancy lighted signs, you know, we don't really see the process of how you make them or the 3D sign, you know, you made and mounted behind you there. What's what's the beginning workings of that process? Like, what is that even made out of?
0: <laughs> uh, your 3D sign is made out of three uh, quarter inch PVC as the back. And then we actually take that We take your design, or if you don't have a design, we design it for you. And then we actually take it to another software that lets our CNC router know what to do. So it then routes it, and then we have to bring it in, and we apply the full-color graphics to it. And in your case, the eye of the camera is actually another three-dimensional piece we added to it by adding a half-inch piece of PVC And then your smaller letters, to give it a more dimension, we chose to do a quarter-inch PVC, so there's multi-layers to that logo.
1: Mm, So, there's a creative process involved in it, too. Like, you know, it's not always just a run-of-the-mill sign. You you try to put, you know, because you mentioned that, you brought that up, that that would be a cool concept.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I would like to say that's what sets us apart from some of the other ones is when... When we see something, if I think it's going to look cool to do it a step better, I will introduce that idea to you, and then it's up to you if you want to do it or not. Sometimes there's more cost involved, and you know, sometimes if I just think it's going to be that much better, I'll do it at no cost just to make sure the sign that comes out of our shop is the best it can be.
1: Mm -hmm. And the, the vinyl that you lay on it, I mean, you print all that out in the shop and cut it out and...
0: Yeah, yours was actually printed on a large format printer, and then we laminated it with a matte laminate. And you have to take things like that into consideration because it's inside and there's lighting on it, and especially with you doing interviews, there would be a glare to it if we did gloss laminate, which is 90% of what goes on of vinyl material. So when you're doing an interior signage, you need to allow for the matte finish to give it the take away the glare that would be on there.
1: Mm-hmm. Makes sense. What other services do you offer besides, you know, signs? Well,
0: you know, it's funny. We started off as pretty much a banner and a yard sale, um, a yard sign company. And cause that was kind of what I was taught in the franchises that I worked for. They would never teach me past that point because they were afraid I'd open my own sign company. So, I started off at that, and then customers started asking for more things. So we, every time we see a need, we'll add a service if we think that it will help our customers and help grow our business. So we've gone from a banner and yard sign company to now we offer anything from business cards to bumper stickers to yard signs, banners, apparel, uh, screen printing and embroidery to we just finished a $40,000 sign package for a tire tire repair shop. So we'll do anything from the LED message centers to, like I said, a bumper sticker, just everything in between.
1: Right. So you're at the first iteration of the sign business that you started in. Um, When did you decide uh, you felt like you could do this on your own?
0: I know a lot of times people say things fell into your lap, and this one kind of did. A friend of mine owned a sign company, and he had to move away, and he sold me his equipment super cheap. I was 19 years old living at home with my parents, and I bought the equipment, and that equipment sat in my bedroom because I didn't think I was ready to do anything with it. But then I started having people ask me if I could do things on the side, so I went to my boss at the time, and I told him what was going on, that I would bought some equipment, but I really didn't feel comfortable leaving my job because of I, I, the money. Right. So I, he was great. He asked me to stay with him as long as I could, so I continued working for him for three months and was running mine 2, 3 o'clock in the morning was just to get things done. And then it got to a point where my body couldn't take both jobs anymore, so I decided to go out on my own. When I was, um, it was June of the year that I was 19 years old, which was 2003.
1: Mm-hmm. So there's both, like you know, during the transition, was there were you were you kind of nervous? I mean, you already saw the business and and what it's capable of and how it operates, but. Was there? Were you a little nervous on jumping out on your own and, you know, taking that risk of providing your own salary?
0: I was absolutely nervous. And, and the thing is, I thought I had a lot of business until I went out on my own. And then I realized the business really wasn't there. I just now have all day to do what I was doing at 2 in the morning. So it was... And I was actually offered the job back at double pay to come back to work for <laughs> Right. Me. And at that point, I had to make a decision, was now the time to continue my own or not? And you know, I was living at home with no expenses, really. Mm-hmm. So before I got married and before I had kids, I thought now's the time to push through the hard times because, see, I didn't go to college. so. I could have went to college for business and learned all this stuff. I actually learned the hard way by doing it on my own. Right. So there was still a lot of mistakes I made in the beginning. So I I paid for my education one way or the other. So I did it the hard way. Mm-hmm. But
1: well, it's just a different way because I did the same thing, you know. And and someone I interviewed once said, you know, if you're not making mistakes, you're probably not doing anything. Exactly. <laughs> so so. Uh, so yeah, it's just, it's part of it. And, you know, you saved the, you saved the debt of going to college. Not, you know, going to college is great, obviously, but yes. and not, you know, it's not for everybody. It's not for every industry. Um, so, uh, you know, during that transition, uh, when you, when you dove out on your own, um, and I know you, you have a wife and kids, yes. um, how, what did your wife think about that? Like, was she kind of behind you the whole time, or were you both kind of uneasy? But I think it's going to yeah. be okay.
0: See, we were dating when I started my company. Mm-hmm. And my wife, she has been a crucial part from day one. When I was actually working at the other sign company, I told my boss at the time that I would not market anywhere in his territory, in the county that he was in. So my she was my girlfriend at the time, wife now. Emily would go out. She had just graduated high school. Mm -hmm. She would go out and do sales while I was at work. And then when I got back to the house, there was a list of jobs for me to do that I had to now do that night, and she would try to deliver the next morning. So she was behind us 100%. She had been part of this company from day one, and she was there through the hard times and the good times, you know.
1: So, I mean, she's really pivotal on the reason why you are worse successful. I mean, bringing oh, in sales is, I mean, 50% of the the gig. Um, that's awesome that you all can, you know, cooperate. I'm, I'm like that with my wife. She does a lot of the accounting. Um, and, and we kind of know our boundaries, like I set pr- pricing, you know, she was very uneasy when I started raising at the beginning because, you know, there's not much confidence when you first begin. But as we started raising, work started getting better, and we started proving ourselves. She kind of let loose of the reins yes. <laughs> when it came to that. Um, so what was the first, you know, did you do this out of your house or out of your garage? Or I did. My dad, he
0: had, a beside our house, he had like a – 30 by 40 shed almost. And we went in and finished that up and made it a shop. And it was kind of a thrown together shop just to make it happen. And I put a sign out by the road, you know. And we started that location out of that shop beside the house. And we outgrew it in about eight months to where it gave us enough revenue to where we could go to an actual retail location on the highway.
1: Mm-hmm. What were those initial services you offered? I imagine it's not as as broad as it is now.
0: Oh, absolutely. I had my shop at the time, I had one four-foot by 10-foot table that pretty much filled up my shop other than the little lobby I had. So we were limited on what we could do. We did offer vehicle graphics and... um. Banners, yard signs, and then some sight signs like the real estate four by four signs and things like that. But that was pretty much about as far as I could go at that point.
1: Mm-hmm. And this was in Charlotte?
0: Right outside of Charlotte, which is Monroe, North Carolina.
1: which it's great that you have both perspectives of two different type of economies. So we'll get into that later because you've obviously been able to adapt extremely successfully. So um, did you, I imagine it was just you and your wife. Did you have an employee that helped you or part-time or?
0: I did not. It was me and my wife for the first six years of our company. As like I said, I made a lot of mistakes and I learned from them Mm -hmm. for six years We didn't take a vacation. We barely paid our bills and all that stuff, figuring out business. I mean, we didn't know business. I knew signs, but I didn't know business. So for six years, we had no employees. We had minimal equipment. And we just fought daily to make this business a success.
1: Wow! So, I mean, was it every day you was just hoofing out signs until you figured out? You know, I think I can raise cost here or raise this price a little bit to cover this.
0: Well, you know, it's kind of funny you ask that question. I was when I first started, I thought, man, you have to be the cheapest, or nobody's going to order from you. So I went and I was dirt cheap, and I even did an ad. We'll be anybody's price by 20% just to get traffic through the door. I was so busy, but I couldn't get any money at the end of the month. I would be so busy at the end of the month, we're losing money. So, So I went, and a realtor actually came in, an older gentleman. He came in and told me. Matt, you're not charging me enough for this. He said, that sign that you have that you just quoted me $25 for, everybody else is charging $50 to $55. And he said, I will not continue to do business with you unless you charge me what you should be charging. He said, because when I need a sign, I want to know that you're still here and the prices you're charging, you won't be. So I actually raised my prices because that guy kind of inspired me to do so and yeah the people that were all about cheap we might have lost a few of them but the the ones that really wanted a quality sign and on time and just customer service they were they understood why we raised our prices and They continued our customers and that's what built our company.
1: Yeah. And you had to, what an awesome individual to do that for you.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, not every day someone says, Hey, listen, you know, I really care about what you're doing and I want to see it. It's just great that he appreciated the product that much that he would give you that advice. Yes.
0: And as a 19 year old kid, I needed that advice because we were drowning in debt and everything else and We were busy. I mean, so it was, in my mind, I just didn't understand why bills couldn't be met, but yet we were working our butts off every day.
1: Right. In those early days, did you find that as far as marketing goes, did you have more word of mouth customers or was it, you know, in the beginning the sales is what paid the bills?
0: The sales paid the bills for me because the the problem is, When I started my company, I literally had a thousand dollars in my account. And so I didn't have money for advertising. I would do everything I could. I even made little lifesaver packets that had our logo on it and I would give it to customers or what, or give it to potential customers and little things like that. I would do anything that I could afford to do advertising. We advertise in the local newspaper some and things like that. But As we grew, we then started advertising more once we had a little advertising budget. And we did see a a growth big time in our company because we were able to get our logo and our name out there for people
1: to even know we existed. Right. And I imagine you have a lot of competition in that area.
0: Yeah. I mean, when I was in Charlotte, we were part of the Chamber of Commerce. Well, I still have a location there. but. Mm -hmm. Part of Chamber of Commerce and in Charlotte alone and the surrounding areas, there's over two thousand sign companies there. And here in Beckley, there's about four. Mm-hmm. So that
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> that
0: shows you the difference of the competition. And one thing we ran into a lot of there was everybody who is interested in vehicle graphics or anything. They had a cutter in their garage and they would do it half the price, but yet you'd have to wait on them to wake up from working third shift the night before and things like that. But you had a lot of people that got used to dealing with guys with no insurance, with no overhead, and it makes it a little tougher.
1: And even still, you know, moving here also, you go from a few, a few million in your radius to a few hundred thousand maybe. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so it kind of evens out, but even still, you know, how did you? When when did you decide that? Hey, we need to we need to pick up shop and set up a new location.
0: Well, you know, we've always wanted multiple locations. Um, it's our end goal to franchise out our branding, or at least license out our branding. That's our end goal. But we knew it had to start with us opening a second location. But what brought us to Beckley was. My wife loves the mountains, and because we're from North Carolina, we went straight to Asheville. That's where we thought we would possibly go, but you know, um, we do a lot of work with churches too, and we saw a need for other services like food and clothing in West Virginia, so we actually decided to help with a ministry in West Virginia as well. And, but we still had to make a living, so we decided to, op- to move to West Virginia and open a sign company here, or another location here, and do that ministry. And so now we will partner with churches and stuff as well and help out. But that's kind of what brought us to West Virginia.
1: Oh wow! So has it always been SignArc since the beginning? It has not. The very
0: beginning, it was called Custom Sign Works. To the and point. Yeah, so years went by and we ran custom sign works for many years. And then there was a pivoting point to where the internet really started taking over um, marketing and things as well. People go online, they don't go on phone books and things like that anymore. So we have, there's actually other custom sign works throughout the United States. And then for us to... Expand our business to sell locations. We needed a branding that is copyrighted that nobody else has. And it was important to us to have our name with .com behind it instead of having to add an NC or a WV behind it. Mm -hmm. So we actually spent hours going through the web hosting to find a name that we could actually
1: just add .com to the back of. And a URL that didn't cost, you know, $100,000. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> right. That's awesome. So did you make the logo? Like, how did all that form? Did you, it's
0: funny. I made, me and my wife spent eight hours because the sign industry is so flooded that to find a name that has sign in it at all, that has a dot com behind it, it's like finding a gold mine. So <laughs> right. we went eight hours and just search names, search names. And my wife actually typed in signarc.com and it said available. And I was like, what's ARC even mean? What's the point? So I said, just put it aside. We'll come back to it. Could not find another name. So I went and we, we decided on that. And then we said, okay, we're going to do a logo. And then we we said, ARC has to stand for something. Mm-hmm. So then we thought about it. We said, what are we? We're an advertising resource company. Mm-hmm. So that's what ARC now stands for is advertising resource company.
1: Boom. Love it when an idea comes together. Exactly. That's great. All right. So, all right, you got you got the new name. Did you decide that when you left or did you decide, decide that in, in Charlotte when you was in operation? Oh, no, we... Long we, time. We
0: decided that in Charlotte, and we have like like I was saying, we have another arc in the Charlotte area, mm-hmm. right outside of Charlotte.
1: Um, so that that uh contrast from leaving to when you started here, um, of course I imagine you started in a small space, uh, or smaller space, and then worked your way up. How did that go? I actually
0: started. It's. It's funny because I knew nothing about West Virginia. And I just knew the hardships that some people have here. And that's what brought us here was through the ministry. But so people would tell me, Matt, there's no business. You're going to struggle. And I just felt God was leading me to do it. So me and my wife, we actually bought very minimal on our home. We started out very minimal on our shop. Because we thought we were going to struggle financially to get this company going in West Virginia. But that was quite the opposite of what happened. We came and we signed a lease on a place that was 1,400 square feet. And we actually outgrew it within six months. Mm -hmm. But we had to start looking for another place. So we found another place. few miles down the street, and it was about 2,000 square feet, but it was laid out so much better for us right. and a lot better road frontage. And then a year goes by, and some situations came up to where where we were leasing from kind of needed the space back, but we also needed to m- move again as far as growth. Mm-hmm. But we didn't want to go far because – We didn't want to be known as the company that bounces around everywhere. So it was a struggle for us to even move to make that decision to move again. But this time we decided we're going to move and we're going to move big. So we moved to an 8,500-square-foot facility and did a full build-out to now that – we can work and meet the needs of our customers way better than we ever could at any of the other locations.
1: And that transi- transition took a little bit, right? Because what didn't you have to do a lot of work to it when you moved in? It did. When when we
0: took over that building and anybody that knows the building that we're in that has ever been in it, they would know what I'm talking about. We took over and it was pretty much a gutted shell inside of that place. And we ended we built all the walls, put all the drop ceilings, put the HVAC system. I mean, we did the flooring. The whole place had to be completely built out to a shop that I would even consider my customers walking through the front door of.
1: Right. and Just for argument's sake, let's talk cost comparison of leasing a place in Charlotte compared to leasing a place in Beckley. Is it somewhat uh, you know, is there a big range there? I would imagine it's cheaper.
0: Well, um, it's kind of strange, man. Like, when I first came here, I thought the leasing was higher. Mm-hmm. Like, when I first moved, I was like, gosh, these places are expensive. But but the difference is, in Charlotte, driving down a the street, there are thousands of available bad. buildings oh, yeah, yeah. for you to go to. Mm-hmm. Here... The good locations are taken, mm-hmm. and to get them, you need to pay up a little more, so you can get them in the—like, I for my company, I want the best road frontage I can possibly get, so that's what we looked for. Now, granted, if I was to lease the place I'm in right now, in Charlotte, it would cost a fortune because of the location and— the size, but we actually were able to work out a deal. We did the build out. So we got a better pricing, which now we can pass that on to the customers as well. We don't have to all of a sudden raise our prices because now our rent's crazy.
1: Right. And also upgrading your stuff and spending money on your businesses, you know, write offs and oh, absolutely. comes in handy at the end of the year. Um, well, that, that's great because Beckley is growing leaps and bounds, so that does make sense that, you know, to get a good spot in Beckley that is, you know, essentially doubling in size in the past 10 years, um, you know, is worth it. So so it makes total sense. Plus, you, like you mentioned, less competition, so on and so forth. Yeah. Um, so you're in Beckley and you, you've got your operation going. When did you, you know, start adding – members, How many team members do you have right now?
0: We now have a total of five. Five. Yes. And when we first moved here, like I said, me and my wife, we started this company back in 2003, and it was me and her for six years.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So in our mind, here we go again. It's going to be us again for a while before we can ever consider hiring anybody. I want to say we were in business about three months before I had to hire my first employee. And then after hiring him, things got busier. So we just kept adding and Mm -hmm. we're at a point where we have another ad out for uh, an employee to be hired. Awesome.
1: That's fantastic. So, okay, you've done this, you know, you've made signs for nearly, you know, a decade or probably well over a decade, really. And it's something that's... Um, you know, special to you and and you're really uh, meticulous about. So now the time is to train someone else on how to do what you've been so good at for so long. So, so how did you let go of the reins when it, and create that process?
0: That's a problem for me. I mean, it really is like my wife she says, Matt you need to quit expecting that people who's never done this before can do what you do because you've been doing it half your life. So it's hard for me to train sometimes. Um, my wife actually has to keep me in check and say give them a break they haven't they haven't been here that long so um, and it falls back to the question you asked earlier how quick did it take me to catch on? I caught on to it very fast, and I don't know why I did, but I did, and it's hard for me to not think that everybody should catch on to it that fast, so it's I've gotten better, and now we have so much going on in our shop that it is a long process to train somebody to where they can run it, but... I have, as we've grown, had to get to the point where I have to say, you've got this thing to do, you've got this, and I have to trust you to do it. You've been trained, so now it's your time to just do it. I can't have my hand on everything.
1: Right. How did it feel when you let someone, I imagine there's been a couple times where you're like, oh, I really don't have the time to do this but I, I, I'm i going to have to let someone else do it and I'm really nervous, but I got to do it so we can grow. Like, is there a certain time that stuck out to your mind that you just felt good because they nailed it and you yeah, was just absolutely. like, oh. <laughs>
0: absolutely. It's, it happens every time I I let somebody loose on it. Most of the time they do it and it's like, wow, they could do it. I just never, <laughs> never let them do it on their own because I felt like I had to be there to make sure it was done right. So Once it's done and then I step back and say, you know, they they were able to do it. So now it's time to give them some more responsibilities. And we had a job one time, for instance. Embroidery's one that's kind of weird. Like sometimes we're dealing with shirts that cost $100 a shirt. Oh, yeah. And we're putting stitches in it that we're getting paid $10 for. Mm -hmm. And... If we mess up on it, now I have to pay $100 for a shirt that I only made $10 on. So we had a job one time that had about 60 of those shirts. And I did not have time to do it. But the guy that we were training at the time, I said, man, you're going to have to do it, but please do not mess up. (laughs) And when I got back, they were all finished. They were all folded. They were done perfect. And at that point, it realized, man, I don't have to do everything here.
1: Sure. And what a load off your mind because, you know, I know I get bogged down like how I am. I don't like having a backlog. I don't like having things on my computer that I have to edit and I have to knock everything out. But it's getting to the point now to where literally I'm going to go, I'm going to be mentally unstable if I don't yeah. give up that thought process but it's all i think that it requires some of that too to be successful because you're about quality control and you want things to be good if you're going to charge someone said amount of dollars oh,
0: absolutely. it's going to be good
1: yeah. so i think that that you need that
0: well and you know sometimes i have great employees at my shop sometimes things will slip through and I was actually going on an install last week, and I went to load the sign into the truck, and we were heading there to do it, but then there was a part on it that was a little blurry. Mm. Yeah. And I could not install that sign. I mean, the customer would have probably never noticed it, but I then looked at the team and said, guys, we got to redo this sign. I'm not installing this sign like that. And so they've come to know that if there's anything let's just redo it and that way the customer gets a perfect sign and not a right. okay sign.
1: Yeah, which it's kind of I don't know if it's OCD or what it is but like I I you know check a lot of little things in commercials that someone would never even notice but the problem is I notice. Yeah. And if I see it running it's going to drive me nuts. So I would imagine signs, you drive by something every day. Same thing. Yeah, you're just going to sit there and...
0: If it's crooked, it'll drive me nuts to where I would end up going and taking the sign back down and reposition it if I drove by and noticed it was crooked after we had already installed it. it's In my industry, anybody that works for you, they'll come to realize it. It changes the way you look at everything when you're in public. Now you notice every sign that's crooked. You notice every vehicle graphic that's not put on straight because that's what you look for now. So, I mean, I would like for people to say when they see a crooked sign or vehicle graphic, I would like for them to know that didn't come from sign art because we don't let things like that go out of our shop.
1: Right. So even, you know, to this day, you, you still critique things as you're driving, like you're out eating with the family and you see some kind of vehicle pull up with some kind of wrap and you see a bubble in it. or Oh,
0: absolutely. I mean, and it's not that I'm picking apart their work. It's mm-hmm. just, I notice it. Yeah. I mean, it can be a hundred foot away from me and I'll notice if there's a flaw
1: to it just because that's, that's what I do. Quality work. Uh, and mentioned, you mentioned the expensive shirts, but you told me that you wrapped a Lamborghini? Yes, in Charlotte. So how did that work? <laughs> they um,
0: In Charlotte, there's a lot of football players, basketball players, things like that. So they'll bring you a car that's half a million dollars. And it's not cool enough for them. So they want something to set them apart from the other guy who has the Lamborghini down the street. So what you doing that, what we do in that situation is we would pay Lamborghini to come in with their tech and take the car apart and disassemble it. Because if you break a clip on a Lamborghini, that's probably my house payment. So <laughs> right. we, we bring the Lamborghini techs in, let them take it apart. And yes, the wrap's more expensive, do I charge them more because it's a Lamborghini? No. I charge them more because the risk involved in that Lamborghini. Is that Lamborghini getting a better wrap than the Honda Civic? It's not. But the risk involved in that Lamborghini is so much higher that we have to hire Lamborghini to come in and actually disassemble the car for us and put it
1: back together. So you just add that into the price. Exactly. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> the first Lamborghini you wrapped, you know... we're and you get the heat gun, and it's like, okay, it's time. You know, how that uh, – did you – was it the same as usual, or was you nervous well, you know,
0: about – it? know, you're a little nervous. I mean, we actually – actually, in, at our Beckley location, we wrapped a Bentley oh, wow. not too long ago. Mm-hmm. So when you're bringing in a $300,000 car, and, yes, we have the – products and everything to where we don't have to put a knife to the paint on a car. Um, And that's one thing you want to look at when you're handing your car over to a guy that's doing a wrap. Is he going to cut on your paint with a knife or is he going to spend the $40 on a roll of what's called knifeless tape to apply to the car first, then you peel it back and it cuts it without a knife ever touching the car? Now, there are some spots that you have to get to with the knife that's not on the paint. But, like, when you're wrapping a Lamborghini or a Bentley or Rolls Royce, that thought, man, what if what if the knife slips and falls out of my hand mm-hmm. and scratches this fender? Mm-hmm. Now, that's a $6,000 paint job on a fender. And so you there is nerves involved, but it's like anything else. Once you've done it for so many years— it's just another another day at another day at the job.
1: That's great. So um, in Beckley, uh, you mentioned you know you outgrew your location after six months. What would you tell someone on your experience of coming to, oh, we'll say, rural community uh, compared to Charlotte? Definitely. What was your experience on how the community accepted quality work?
0: Well, you know, the, obviously because of our growth, the community really embraced us, and and. We're happy with what we've done because in Charlotte, the difference between Charlotte and here, Charlotte has so much competition in my industry and probably most industries. If you don't bring your A-game, the guy down the street is. There's another two, three hundred shops in a three-mile radius that's bringing their their A-game, and they're doing top-notch work. So, if you're doing mediocre and you're letting things slide, they notice that a lot in Charlotte because the guy down the street's doing excellent work. So, when we moved here, we kept the same mindset that we had in Charlotte to where if we're not going to do the best, the guy down the street will. So, we noticed that, and I don't want to talk about my competition at all, but we've noticed customers saying, wow, we've... We've never seen this type of work done here before that you answer your calls when we call and you follow up with estimates and the quality work you do. So it surprised me that I was getting those comments because in Charlotte, I mean, it's, it's not even a good job because
1: everybody else is doing it. You know what I'm saying? Everyone's so used to it. Definitely. Okay, so I guess this is a little late to bring up pricing models, but is there like a formula for everything uh, that you charge?
0: There is. We have square foot pricing on vehicle wraps, and that varies as well because when we look at the vehicle, it'll depend on the complexity of wrapping it. So if we're wrapping a a flat box truck, we're going to charge less per square foot than if we're wrapping a Chevy HHR with the fenders that come out the side and everything. It's going to take us more time to wrap. So sometimes a smaller vehicle costs more than a bigger vehicle. It just depends on labor. And there is a formula to it. And that's one thing we have in place. That way our employees can quote it without me having to be there.
1: Definitely. So that's with every service. There's a certain formula. You know, you know how much this costs, that costs, labor. You know,
0: absolutely. And and it, even the formula goes beyond that to where if somebody orders one item or they order one hundred items in our computer system, all my employee has to do is type in one hundred, and it automatically gives that price break. Lowers it. So and obviously that that takes a lot of back end work on our end to set that pricing up. Mm-hmm. But yes, we have to look at... Anybody that knows sign industry, they'll say, I know a roll of vinyl don't cost that much. You're right, it don't. But my insurance does, my lighting, my contractor's license, everything that we had to do to get to this point, our printers, our embroidery machines, everything has a cost to it. So when we're figuring up our pricing, we have to account for everything that's in there. So... Yeah, the guy working out of his garage who has no insurance, he could do it cheaper than I can. But when your car gets scratched or gets damaged and he has no insurance, now you're the one out of luck because you chose to go to the guy that was a little bit cheaper.
1: Mm -hmm. So what what would you say your biggest struggle has been since the beginning? Is it capital? Is it, you know... Finding qualified employees or capital
0: was a problem in the very beginning because I didn't like I said I had a thousand dollars in my to my name at that point, so capital was a problem. But I'm not against business loans at all. But one thing that I've always tried to do is make sure that I own everything inside my shop, so that way. If business did get slow, because I started with a business that struggled. So I didn't want to go back there and then lose all my equipment because now I owe money on it all. So I ch- everything we bought, we paid for. That way we now own it and we don't have that leasing expense or that um, payment to go with it. But that was a struggle. Because my dad, he always told me, if you can't afford it, don't buy it. So right. it took me forever before I would ever even consider a loan because it just wasn't the way I was raised. Mm-hmm. And business, same way with personal, eventually you have to to establish credit because if you're not taking out any credit, you'll never get credit. So we took out a couple business loans and, it did, it did us fine, but employees now, and I hate to say that because I, I love West Virginia, but here in West Virginia, finding a qualified employee, at least for my industry, is very hard because in Charlotte, like I mentioned before, there's thousands. So I could put an ad out on Facebook today and I could have my shop fully stocked with qualified employees in a week. Right. Here, it's, it's a lot more process to get people um, that can
1: do the job. Right. Well, we've been training folks to leave, and, you know, people have— even told me like, man, you could be making so much money doing what you're doing in Charlotte. You know? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like, Actually, we're profitable here, man, yeah. but thank you. I really appreciate. Uh, but, but yeah, and the, the business loans too, like you said, like there's a point like to where, you know, you're paying salaries now and you need to protect that revenue. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, sm- which business loans are usually low interest. And I imagine, you know, you're, you try to pay them off ahead of time. Oh
0: I, yes. And like you mentioned about employees and stuff, see, for years, it was me and my wife. So I never had anybody else to worry about other than me and my wife. But when I hire somebody, I take on their family. Mm-hmm. I don't want to hire somebody if I can't afford them. And when we first started, I i mean, in my mind, I thought, wow, if I could just ever get to the point where I have $2,000 in my bank at all times, that would be awesome. Yeah. And now, if I had $2,000 in my bank, my people ain't getting paid this week. Right. I mean, so it's it's a whole nother world by the time, as your business keeps growing, there is a lot more risk involved as well because one thing I've never done and I never want to do is look at an employee that's worked their butt off for my company and tell them, I can't afford you anymore. I'm going to have to let you go. So we try to protect that in any way that we can,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, we kind of do the same thing. Like, I do not hire someone unless I can pay them for a year. If we don't get a job tomorrow, absolutely. So that's what—that's kind of the rule of thumb that I try and go by. Uh, but so, you know, what would you say to somebody who is kind of indifferent about starting a business in Appalachia? You know, what kind of qualities do they need?
0: I mean, it's—it's kind of funny. That you're asking because I actually have an employee who has an opportunity to go out and do their own business, which is not a sign company, but I've encouraged them. Yeah, I don't want to see them leave, but they can make it, and that's not a question. I know their work ethic, and I know all the other things about them, so I know they'll make it, but my, my suggestions to them is get it done when you say you're going to get it done. Give them a good product. And just follow up with your customers. If, if they ask for a quote, give them a quote. If they have a question that you don't know right now and you tell them you're going to get back to them, get back to them. Because a lot of people don't, and that will set you apart from that other person that never responded, and you'll get those jobs.
1: Perfect. So, you, you know, would you say customer service then quality, or, you know, are they both one and the same?
0: You know, in all honesty, I I live by both, but I truly believe here in Appalachia, if if you give customer service, they'll deal with a little less quality as long as they, they're being taken care of personally in, because, at least in my industry, they're not used to it. So if you'll take care of them, and now has there been times where – A product that I gave a customer failed? Yes. But how do we deal with it at that point? Do I look at them and say, I'm sorry that you were happy with it when you left the shop. It's over. I've got my money, so it is what it is. I have every right to do that. Mm -hmm. I actually do not give a warranty on anything that I do. And customers will say, why not? I say, because a warranty is only as good as the person giving it to you. I said, if you ever have a problem with my services, whether it's my fault or your fault, if you're not happy, I'm going to make it right. So a warranty does no good for me because I'm going to fix it if you have any issues. Like I said, even if you mess it up and you feel that I'm responsible, I'm going to fix it just because I don't want you to be unhappy with me. We've been in business since 2003 I've never had a negative review, and I don't plan on starting with the next customer. So if it takes me eating a cost of five, $600 to keep you from going on Facebook and bashing my company, I'm willing to do that.
1: Matthew Helms, thank you for the inspiring conversation, and also a shout out to the fine craftsmanship that SignArk put into fruition for us with our custom 3D logos, window wraps, and also a 10-foot wide 3D sign on our building. You can find out more about SignArk by following their Facebook and Instagram pages and also reach out to them at signarc.com. Appalachian Startup is a bi-weekly podcast, so be sure to check back for more stories of entrepreneurship. Like us on Facebook and Instagram and support the show by grabbing a sticker from our online store at appalachianstartup.com. Review our podcast on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud as well. We are on Patreon, so you can support the show there and allow us to showcase more businesses in Appalachia. Stay tuned for more stories of underdogs on the rise.